Hello everybody, good evening. Um, it's so good to be able to open up this passage tonight. And wow, I'm super self-conscious of this. Um, one other thing I'm very self-conscious of is, um, some of you might know this, but I've had two shower-related injuries this year already. Um, I'm 35, um, obviously something happens at that age, um, but today I had my third one, which was getting out of the shower, the first, um, what do you call it, sort of headbang as you towel your hair and something, something just went. Um, and so my, lim- my movement's limited. Jeff, I remember last time you were helping me out and showing me things and I put ice on, not warmth, which is the right thing, right? Thank you. After months of putting heat on last time, Jeff was like, dude, that's literally the completely wrong thing. Um, so I put ice on this morning. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But I just in case I look like Batman or you hear me yelp, that's what, that's what that is. Um, all right. Um, let's take a moment. Um, this time of year, um, let's just be honest, I said this last week when we were announcing the series, it's the time of year where uh, whoever you ask, um, they are feeling exhausted. They're feeling tired. It's the final push, trying to get to that end of year leave. Um, but none of us are really like, you know, the end of the year can't come sooner for most of us. Um, but I think on top of that, for some of us, this actually might not just feel like the end of the year, it could feel like the end of a sort of three-year marathon. Because if you just think about it, this January is probably the first January in a while. We've, we're not wondering if we're going to be in lockdown, what's happening with corona, all that stuff. Um, we're not entering the holiday season expecting a massive lockdown to happen and uncertain of what life's going to look like on the other side. Which is quite huge when you think about it. Um, we forget that th- <laughs> that wasn't normal, but we've lived in it for quite a while now. Um, and some of us have carried the trauma of those, of those years, and even this particular year. Um, I know that someone who I was um, hanging out with a couple of weeks ago in this community, and they were just very honest. They just said, Kyle, this has been, without a doubt, the worst year of my life. Like, stati- like, just factually, this is the worst year of my life. Everything that's happened to me has been the worst year of my life. Um, and I don't know if that's true for you, but certainly the last three years have been really hard. Um, and so part of the idea of doing this series is to kind of put a bit of a, a stake in the ground to say, let's, let's mourn the past, let's uh, deal with some of the trauma, um, let's lament, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but what I want to say is no matter what our experiences have been, and maybe you actually, you're actually doing really great, which is, which is great, I'm so glad for you, um, I really am, I'm not being sarcastic. Um, um, but no matter how we're feeling, um, we don't have to either deal with that positively or negatively like the rest of the world might deal with it. Um, we have something of hope, we have something eternal that we can rejoice in um, and cling to in, in, in the hard times. And I think it's hope for our own souls, but it is also hope to offer other people. Um, hope to offer our city, um, who is also at this time, again, we're heading down that spiral towards the end of the year. Um, and so, hence this series on the Psalms, and you'll see the tagline there, God is with us. It's a huge truth that I've realized more and more over the last couple of weeks. It's just such a central truth in the Bible for God's people to remember. God is with us, but that's what we need to remember. And um, for those of you who are unacquainted, maybe you are not a regular churchgoer, or you you haven't even ever stepped foot in a church before. You've got no idea about the Bible. And um, what are the Psalms? The Psalms are a collection, essentially, of songs in the Bible. Um, a collection of songs, songs, hymns, poems that are actually from people to God. We often think about the Bible as God's word to humans, which is true. But in the Psalms' case, it's, and it still is that in the Psalms' case, 
but um, primarily the way it's written is a bunch of people expressing their words to God. It's, it's essentially prayers written down. Um, and they are patterns, I think, of how we can and how we should pray to the God of the Bible. Um, and we read of a whole range of people, right? We read of people in the depths of despair. That's kind of today's psalm, kind of wanting to start us on a, on a low, on a downer. We read of people in the midst of confusion. I think Asaph was like that as well in the psalm. And we read people who are just in the heights of joy and are just worshipping God um, for all the sort of material blessings that seem to be happening in their lives. Um, there are different psalms for different occasions. Some are psalms of ascent, which would have been songs that people would have sung um, on their pilgrimages to Jerusalem as they ascended the, the terrain on their way up to Jerusalem and the temple for things like Passover and stuff like that. Um, and then there are psalms of praise and there are psalms of lament deep 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 people crying out from immense pain um, and we learn a lot about god in these psalms there are truths about who god is which um often is what the psalms are trying the psalms of psalmists are trying to drill into themselves as they as they say these things they're trying to remind themselves of who god is and the character of god um, but also they, they offer us comfort, they, they challenge us in certain ways when we, when we consider God, when we consider circumstances. And one of the things I just love is that most of these psalms were written 3,000 years ago. And the amazing thing is 3,000 years have passed and the times have seriously changed since then, but the hearts of people actually haven't. Um, we really think we've progressed as a species. And I want to just put before you today, um, I don't think we have. <laughs> and I think the 20th century is just a beautiful example of the fact that humanity had all the technology in the world at our disposal, and we used it to kill each other. Um, so I just want to bur burst that bubble. Um, but that is amazing, because that means we can look to things that were written 3,000 years ago to identify with people and be able to say, hey, I actually know exactly what you're talking about, and the solution is the same. Um, the way out of this, this despair, this trouble, um, is the same because actually things haven't changed. And so that's actually a comforting thing and not meant to be a downer as well. Um, but Psalm 77, we, we read it out loud just now. We spent a little, little bit of time just meditating on it. As I said, it is a psalm of lament. But let me just clarify, again, you might not be a churchy person. I don't even think if most churchy people in our context are familiar with defining what a lament is. A lament is... An expression of the deepest pain um, that people can feel. That's what a lament is. It's, it's a deep, deep cry of desperation. And the Psalms of Lament show us how to pray and how to deal with tough times and tough circumstances when things are just really, really bad, when things have really um, gone to the dogs and, they, and we just don't see a way out. And nearly 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. And I think that's just a fact worth pondering on. It's, it's, it's worth just considering, wow, um, there seems to have been an expectation for not just people, but God's people to be in times where they are struggling with, with stuff and feeling, feeling down. Um, and I think um, today's psalm and the other psalms are going to comfort us. They're going to challenge us. Um, but basically, if you uh, a lament has a structure. So if you, if you did high school English, um, you might have studied poetry, and you'll recognize that poetry, um, there are different types of structures in poems, but poems have structure. And the same is true with the lament. It is, it is a type of psalm, a type of song, that has a specific structure. And so it's going to come up on the screen here, and you'll, you would have noticed it now as I say it, um, coming through in Asaph's psalm. So there's a direct address, 
to God, it's addressed to him, um, and then there's a complaint that is laid out, the circumstances, uh, a request for God to act or do something, and then it ends with an expression of, of trust in who God is, the character of God, whatever it might be. And so what I've titled tonight's talk is, um, I said we're learning about lamenting well to the glory of God. Lamenting well to the glory of God. And the reason I've added to the glory of God um, is because I want us to make sure that we remember that even in times of lamenting and even in times of immense suffering, the world doesn't revolve around us. Which is a hard thing to hear, uh, maybe when we're going through those times or just in general in our context. But it's true, and I actually think that's a really good thing, and that's one of the things that helps us in these times, is that it's not all about us. And let me just say that I think there's two things that I think God could be um, preparing us for in this room tonight. Um, The one is a day of trouble, a day of trouble that is coming on the horizon in, in our lives. It could be a massive day, it could be a small day, um, and it could be your current context right now, like that day might, have been, might be upon you right now. Um, and if it's not that day for you, that's fine. Can I ask you to actually just take a second to think back in a period of your life when it felt like that was the day of trouble. That's when I lamented or I needed to lament. Um, I don't know what it could be, a death of a family member, you fill in the blanks. But it's nice to just have a reference point and something to latch onto as we read through this. I think the, the past years have given us a lot of things that we could throw in there, from death to economic strain to various types of um, emotional pain. But what was the time in your life where you perhaps just, and I've had this time, where you've just sat in silence and you just actually don't know what to do? Like, there's, you just don't know what the answer is, you don't know how to proceed, um, you're not sure if things are going to be all right, um, and you've got all these questions. What, what am I actually meant to do now? Um, where do we go from here? How do, how, do we, how do we deal with this? That's what we're talking about here. So I think God wants to prepare us for a coming day of trouble. Secondly, I think God wants to prepare us for those times when it seems like he's distant, when we seem to have a seemingly distant God. Because um, in all this trouble, often we feel alone. We might even feel abandoned by God. I think that's very natural to feel that. You might even feel betrayed. We're asking, where is God? How do we deal with this? How do I deal with this with when the circumstances are already bad? And now I also feel like that God's not even in the picture. Um, like, where, where am I meant to run? And I think God wants to remind us of some stuff here tonight. And so, um, Psalm 77, just for some context, it was written by a guy called Asaph. Asaph um, was obviously in a great time of trouble. We're not exactly sure what it is, but from his language, we know it's bad. Um, and he was sort of the great music director of ancient Israel at the time of King David. So he was like kind of, I don't know, like professional worship leader. And he, you know, he, he gathered all the people to sing and he wrote songs. That was kind of his vibe. Um, but it's huge to note this, that he's, he's this man of God. He's, he's literally written parts of the Bible. But that doesn't guarantee that a day of trouble is not going to come upon him. Which means that just because we know and love Jesus um, and are sometimes faithful and sometimes not faithful in that calling um, doesn't guarantee us immunity from suffering in this life. Um, And we'll we'll chat about that as we go. But basically, we're going to get into the psalm now. There's going to be four things that I just want to pull out. In a sense, they're four steps for um, lamenting well to the glory of God. And there's a massive shift that happens in one of those steps. And... Let me just say this, if we miss that shift, if you miss that shift, if you don't um, give yourself to that shift that happens there, um, 
it's, it's, it's not going to end the way God wants it to end for you. We're not going to be able to um, latch onto the thing God wants us to latch onto and lament well. So, leave the intro to the series and the talk, but let's, let's jump into it now. And the first thing that we want to just comment on is, is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. So let's just read the first sort of, what is it, nine verses again. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Asaph obviously recognizes the fact that he is troubled here. He literally says he, he's so um, distressed he can't sleep he can't speak. And what this means, just off the bat, is you and I don't need to feel guilty when we're in distress. And I want, it, it sounds obvious maybe, but I just want to say that out loud because I sometimes don't think we believe that. We don't need to feel like a bad Christian for not feeling over the moon and overjoyed when things actually are not going well and things are not actually going right in our lives. It's, it's okay to not be okay. And I think this psalm and the other psalms of lament and Jesus' use of these psalms tells us this. They're there in the Bible to assure us of this fact, that it's okay to not be okay. Here are examples of it. Um, and if you're not a Christ follower here tonight, you're visiting uh, for whatever reason, um, maybe this surprises you. Um, maybe, maybe you have some image of Christians as weird, smiley people who just kind of push their way through life and nothing ever bothers them and everything is hashtag blessed on their Instagram and, and that's your view of Christians and like um, something in you knows that that's not true but, but, but we don't seem to put that out there. Um, but um, we actually are real people um, and we actually have stuff going on in our lives and um, we would like to acknowledge that before, before you tonight. Um, yeah, some of you might think that there's something wrong um, with you, or you might think there's something wrong with your faith if you feel like you're not chipper and over the moon when you're in that season. Um, and I just want to say again, that's not true. Christians experiencing a day of trouble um, shouldn't be surprising. We're not immune to it. And I just want to remind you of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You might have heard me say this before. Jesus teaches his big, brilliant sermon for three whole chapters. And right at the end, he lands with um, a parable, which is about putting his words into practice, kind of like James. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. And he, his parable is um, about the two people who build their houses. And the one person builds their house on sand, and the other person builds their house on, on rock with sturdy foundations. And he says, the person who does my words is someone who builds their, their house, builds their life on a rock. But don't miss the fact that the storm comes in the parable and still hits both houses. It doesn't just hit the person's house who built the house in the sand. It also hits the house of the person who built the house on the rock. The storm still comes. And I think some of us might think the mature thing to do is just, you know, come to church on Sunday or tell your, your group of four or your life group that, that, that everything's fine and life is great. Praise God. No, 
bottling up emotion, pretending we're fine, um, and in a sense pretending we don't need God, is, surprise, surprise, not actually Christian maturity. Um, that's actually self-sufficiency, or maybe at the worst end of the spectrum, there's like self-deception. But it's not maturity to just pretend you're fine. It's okay to not be okay. That's the first thing just to realize. But then what's the first thing to do? What's the first thing to do? And it's this, the next thing, which is run and cry to God honestly. Run and cry to God honestly. And we see Asaph doing that here. He cries aloud to God very honestly. He's telling God exactly how he's feeling. He's bringing his complaint to God now. It's like that kind of second step there in the, in the lament. Um, and he tells God um, what he thinks about him, that he doesn't feel close to God, that he doesn't feel that he's loved by God. He's tired. He's even actually blaming God for keeping him awake. He says, God, you've been holding my eyelids open. Um, so he's heaping a lot of blame on God. He's telling him exactly how he feels about life, what his thoughts are about God. And he's questioning God's goodness. You would have noticed that. He's questioning God's promises. He's questioning God's word. So this is not some trivial thing. Like, and some of us in the room know when we've really gone to the bottom there and we're like, are you even real God? Do you even care? Because I, think, I feel like you're a monster right now. It's that sort of depth of almost aggression that Asaph is bringing out here. Tells God that it feels like he has forsaken him. And now that might not seem very Christian-like to you. But actually, it's the first step, and it's, it's the very thing we need to do. It's the starting place for Christ followers. Not, not necessarily to, to tune God and be angry at God, but to be honest with God and to be real with God. Um, he's wanting us to come to Him and cry out loud to Him and speak to Him and, and be honest with Him. Um, and so a question that, for, for myself included, for all of us, is genuinely when, when, when bad times hit us, where do we run to first? What, what, is the, what, is, what is the knee-jerk reaction? Or to whom does our knees jerk in reaction? Which way do we run? Do we run to God? Or do we run to a whole bunch of other things? And I don't know what they could be. We've each got, you know, our thing. Do you run actually towards recreation and just try and numb the pain or whatever it might be? Or distraction or, or medication? Um, or even people. Uh, I don't think people are bad and we'll get there. But... Is that the first place do you run? Do you run to social media? I don't know if this happens a lot these days because I'm not on Facebook as much as I used to be. But I used to see a lot of people, the first place they ran to when there was a day of trouble was the random people out there for people to see when they'll just put a status, rough day. And you know everyone's now leaning in. Oh, tell me, what happened? And you appeal to this like plethora of like randoms out there who are your friends who then message you and whatever, um, sort of social media sympathizers, but um, is that the first place to go? Is that where we should be taking our stuff? And uh, even, even running to Christian brothers and sisters, um, I want to just put a flag here, um, which is we can run to Christian brothers and sisters and still completely bypass God, if you think about it, um, by running to them first. We must run to them. Community is important. You know me. You know how much I believe for community. We did a membership moment tonight talking about the value of saying yes to each other. But community is never meant to be a substitute to God. It is a means of grace to us from God. We need each other and God works through people. But surprise, surprise, as Christians, we actually have direct access to God because of Jesus. 
And are we making use of it? Do we make use of it? And maybe I'm getting passionate about this because I just know my knee-jerk reaction can, can, can be to put my burdens on other people first and foremost and not to actually lay my burdens at, at Jesus first and foremost. Um, and I think we, we, we all often do that. People are not meant to play God. We're meant to support the work of God. So, just that's what do you call it? A rhetorical question. Are you, are you running to God in those moments, will you run to God in that moment? Because it's, we don't want to put the weight in the wrong place. Because then we'll put weight on people that they are not designed to bear. When we, when we, when we put all our burdens on people instead of on Jesus, like he asked us to do, um, we can crush people and bypass the very thing that we need, which is, which is our God and our Father. So we, we each have a responsibility to run to God first in, in days of trouble. That's where we need to go first. Um, and I've sat across tables with people, um, and they have gone to everyone in the world with their problem, and yet they actually haven't gone to God. They actually haven't spoken to God. And I'm not talking here about um, two-minute lip service to God. I mean, are we genuinely running to God and spending time pouring out our souls to God? Because we can also be like, yeah, I prayed about it, and God didn't rock up. I'm like, did you, how much did you really get out in that minute? Like, how much did you really run to God and cry out to God and lay your stuff on God. There's a big difference between wrestling with God and just getting it out the way. So we've got to cry out loud. We've got to pour our hearts out, lay out our complaints, our frustrations, our fears, our tears, whatever it is. Um, But simply being emotional and honest with God or whatever it might be um, is still not maturity. As millennials and Gen Zers in the room, we love to think that that means maturity. To just be vulnerable and honest and authentic is the mark of maturity in life. And I just want to break it to you. It's actually not. You can be the most immature person in the world because um, you, you actually don't own a bunch of stuff. You don't actually trust God. You just dump your stuff on a bunch of other people and make it their problem. So, um, if you do... I'm getting a bit passionate here, but anyways... Um, we need to go to God. We need to be honest to God. We need to get it all out. If it, if it means, if honestly, I don't know if this is, this might be heretical. I need to think about this. Let me not say that. Um, so I was like, no, I, I think it's, yeah, it's okay to be angry with God. That's what I was going to say. It's okay to say, God, I'm so angry with you right now. Just be real with God. Sorry, that's not heretical. I think that's fair. Um, I just don't want to have that recorded. Um, <laughs> So that means that's an important step, but it's not, it's not, it's, we need to keep moving. But a quick aside here is that I think it's huge for us to not miss the fact that we need to be real with ourselves for a moment and just make sure that we also haven't been a contributing factor in that day of trouble. Because I think it's, we we also love to, um, it's, we're always victims of of the circumstances of everyone else. But I think a key thing to also put in here, and it's not in the psalm, but I just put it in the side, is to just do your best to repent of any known sin. Because you don't know, you might have had a blind spot and been a real idiot towards someone, and that caused them to drift away, and then something else happened, something else happened, and then a whole bunch of stuff happened over here. But actually, a whole bunch of your own character stuff is what brought that to the fore in the first place, and created a whole whirlwind that you may have been able to avoid all of this if it wasn't for your own personal blind spot, which is why we need each other. And so um, we want to repent of all known sin because God might be using this to get our attention and, and, and deal with stuff. Um, back to where we were. We lay all our stuff out to God. We pray, we repent, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete. 
We need to move forward. There's, there's, more, there's more to it there. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. That's, that's not the heart of God. That's not the will of God. And I think as a generation, again, we, we love just staying in our stuff, but that's not God's intention. So what is his pattern for us next? Well, we'll see it in, in Asaph's psalm here. It's a very conscious thing, this now. We need to decide to remember and meditate on God's mighty deeds in Scripture. Decide to remember and meditate on God's mighty deeds in Scripture. Verses 10 to 12. Asaph continues. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. It's a tiny word, but don't miss it when it just says, then. It's a little transitional thing, which is like, okay, I am now making a decision. I am going to dig my heels in here, no matter how crap the circumstances are, no matter everything that's going wrong, no matter how distant I feel God is, I'm going to make a decision here. That's what he does. And what he does is he, like Paul will tell us to in the New Testament, he takes his thoughts captive. He takes his thoughts captive. There's an activeness here that happens. He gets a hold of himself and his mind, and he tells himself. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on all your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. It's a very active, participating thing. No doubt God is at work in this. But don't miss, there's there's stuff for us to do here. And this might be, and I want to say this, this might be a hard thing to do. This is is not meant to be easy. Um, I don't have a quick fix. God doesn't have a quick fix plaster to just make everything okay. It might be a hard thing to do, but it is a necessary thing to do. It's a necessary thing to do. Asaph's in in darkness. He's doubting the word of God, the character of God. Remember um, the accusations that, that, um, that Asaph has? He throws out a bunch of sort of questions which sort of reveal his headspace right he's he's saying will the lord cast off forever well the truth is no the lord will not cast off his people says psalm 94 will he be favorable no more yes he will be favorable for though he cause grief yet he will have compassion lamentations 3 has his mercy clean gone forever no his mercy endures forever and is from everlasting to everlasting psalm 103 Have God's promises failed forevermore? No, it is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 3. But in the moment, he cannot see these things, which is why he needs to take time. He needs to to get a hold of himself here. And I think we can all attest, and I think I've said this recently, we can all attest to to times when when we're stressed, when it's times of trouble, we don't don't think straight, right? Just think of um, personal interactions. We are so much more likely to misread someone's tone when it's a stressful environment. We, complete, we, just, we just miss each other. Everyone's actually fine and something else is wrong, but all of a sudden when something else is wrong, we're also not fine because we've just completely misunderstood each other. We inject mistrust into gaps. We make irrational, bad decisions in these times. And so the lesson here is, and I've said this before, I think. It's not mine. I don't know whose it is. Um, don't doubt in the darkness what you knew to be true in the light. Like, don't think that when you're in a time of trouble and distress and nothing's going right, that what you believe now is, is probably the most accurate thing you could believe. I don't actually think that's true. We sometimes like to think that's true, but when you just take it down to the small practical level, you know in those little conversational moments you're not thinking straight. Do you really think you're probably thinking straight about the deepest things 
of, of the world and the soul. I just want to put that out there. Don't let circumstances tell us who God is. Otherwise, exactly like Asaph, our default reaction is going to be to moan about God, to moan about people, to, to faint. And don't let feelings be your measure of truth. Otherwise, all we're going to do is head more and more into error and error and error. If our feelings, which are consistently changing, are meant to be that plumb line, they're not meant to be the plumb line. We need to go back to God's word. God's word is, is paramount. We need to go back to God's word in these times. Go back to, and I think what he's pointing us here to, to, to hear is not just truths about God, but actually stories about God. Um, particular stories of his power, his deliverance from darkness, from distressing times, whatever it might be. And I think the reason for that is you and I, in, 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 in the dark, distressed times, need to see a mighty God. We need to see a powerful God. And I, God is multifaceted. Jesus is, is, is lion and he's lamb. And we love, we love lamb Jesus and we need gentle, lowly, meek Jesus. There is a place and time for that 100%. But there's also a time for sovereign God, creator of the universe, on his throne, able to move heaven and earth. That's what I think we need in times like these. Which means when, and that's a very practical pastoral thing here, when, when one of the elders or your life group leader or just a mate in the church, whoever it might be, asks you about reading your Bible and quiet times, can I ask you to please not view it in some um, quiet time, police, nerdy, like, I'm just trying to, I've just got nothing better to do with my times. I just, you know, I just really want to tick, did you do it? That, that's not the idea at all. The idea is, my goodness, you are going to go through hell and back in this life if you're going to have the experience of the average human. Do you have your eyes on God? Are you meditating on God? Do you have, are you inputting God into your life now so that you've got an accurate perspective when those days come? In some ways, it's a matter of life and death when we're talking about the small things of reading a Bible. That's why I challenged the members. We had a members meeting last week. And we just said, we just need to keep doing the simple things. Like, it's not the fireworks and glory that actually is the stuff that gets us through. It's the simple things of reminding ourselves of God's fireworks and glory that actually is what's going to serve us well. So we need to go back. We need to go back and remember God's wonders of old. We need to ponder them, pray them, meditate on them. And that's not going to be a quick thing. To spend time chewing and thinking through things and thanking God for things and just wondering what that moment must have looked like. Like I just think of the plagues. Like we can just read the plagues. And the gnats came and the locusts came and the cows died. But like we need to spend some time just thinking about what that must have been like for the ancient Israelites to experience and see around them. And just see what, what God was doing. These mighty crazy wonders. It's not going to just look like quoting a verse for 20 seconds and saying it's not working. That's, that's what I'm trying to paint here. It's actually going to look like effort. No less, um, there's, there's, effort, there's divine effort happening with God working in us. Don't get me wrong. It's not, some, it's, it's, it's not faithless, graceless effort. But it's effort nonetheless. It's partnering with God to shift our minds, to take our thoughts captive. So let's, we're just going to read the last section here of, 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 of the lament, where Asaph brings one of these examples of, of God's mighty deeds, and, and, and he kind of ponders on it, and we'll see what that does for him. So we'll carry on from verse 13. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, 
you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, and yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Asaph latches onto the Exodus here, if that's um, unfamiliar to you. A time when God's people were trapped in slavery, a, a dark time, and God led them out of Egypt into the wilderness. And they went out through the sea. The Red Sea parted. They all went through. And the Red Sea came back on and destroyed their captors. Um, and what he notices here, what he says at the end of the psalm, if you notice, he says, he realizes that God was actually always there. God was always there. Even sometimes when the Israelites couldn't see it, when they were grumbling in the desert, he led them through the sea, and yet his footprints were invisible. His footprints were invisible. Asaph realizes the truth that God is always working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He draws them nearer to, to him in times like that. He teaches us lessons, sometimes that we don't learn in other times. He equips his people. He grows their faith. And just so you know, Asaph was not alive when the Exodus happened. This is written 300 years, maybe 400 years after Asaph, I mean, after the Exodus. Which means it's a pattern for us to go back to the stories of God that, that, that happened long before us. To go back to scripture and read those stories. No doubt we can go back to moments in our life where God has been faithful and God has come through and God's been there for us. Do that. But also go back to, to these stories. Go back to God's living word. The huge thing we're trying to do here is we're trying to get our eyes off ourselves. Because that's one of the biggest problems in these times. That's one of the things that actually hurts us more. We're not hurting because of that, but we can magnify our pain when we keep our eyes on ourselves and our lives instead of looking at God and his work for his people that he's been up to. And so he looks at God, he looks at his mighty deeds, he gets a perspective shift, Asaph does here. And we get to the end of the psalm and we have, we have no indication that Asaph's circumstances change. There is no indication at all that that happens. But Asaph finds hope right where he is. In the, midst, in the midst of everything going on, he realizes, no, 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 God is here, God is with me, God is leading me, like he's always done. And just look at, look at something of the, the shifts in the text itself. You might have built some long psalms, you're not going to see them all up on the screen now, but you can go home and look at this. But basically, just trust me, um, the beginning of the psalm is just filled with I, 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 me, me, my, my, over and over and over again. Asaph is... is Focusing on himself and his circumstances in that, in that first bit. Um, and what that does is it causes him to speak of God as distant. He speaks of the Lord in the third person. He says, the Lord, he, him. He accuses God. He speaks of his own hand reaching out in, in prayer at night. But then we've got the ship that comes when he gets a hold of himself and he decides to, to meditate on the deeds of the Lord. And instead of focusing on his own hand reaching out in prayer, he, he decides to remember God's right hand. It's the hand of power, of God doing things and moving things. He remembers and meditates on God's deeds. And God's deeds are proof that he's alive and he's not distant. He's active. 
And you'll see, when, when Asaph does this, he starts to speak to God personally. Again, perhaps. He addresses him as you, your, my God. And he remembers his place amongst the people of God. He refers to God as, as our God, as a communal thing, where it's not just Asaph's life. It's now the people of God, my place in history, amongst the family of God, with God as my Father. The eyes, the me's, they disappear, and he finds, I think he finds solace in the power of God and the bigness of God and the bigness of God's story and his place in, in the people of God. So we have to shift in times of trouble, as hard as it might be, we have to shift from meditating on our own story to meditating on God's story. Because we'll always, we'll always find the negative in our own story and then we'll, we'll, we'll blame God and go on our merry way instead of going to the very place that we need to. Let's end on this. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay there. So we run, we cry to God. Honestly, we deal with Him. We get it all out, whatever it might be. We then make some decisions to go back and look at God's mighty deeds and His wonders and meditate on them and think on them and fill our souls with these things. And God's people can help us here. That's why, that's why we sing songs because they remind us of things. That's why we read scripture out loud because it helps us and anchors us. But then what we can do is this, lastly. I think we need to do this as, as Christians. Remember the mightiest deed of all and then actively trust Him. The last step of the lament is to trust God and look forward. Now, some of you might not be Christ followers yet. You might be visiting. So let me explain what I, what I mean when I say you need to remember the mightiest deed that God ever, does, God, God ever did. There was a man who walked this earth who also had the power over the wind and the waves. He stopped storms simply by telling them to stop. And they stopped. And this man was actually the same God who parted the Red Seas, who told the seas to go left and to go right. It's the same God who led the people of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years eventually taking them into the promised land. And that same God decided to come to earth himself and be born as a human. Jesus of Nazareth, Galilean peasant, 2,000 years ago. And he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. On the night before, he was about to go and die on a Roman cross. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you might remember. He was on his knees. He was sweating blood. And what was he doing? He was crying out to God in lament. It's all there. You just read his little prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He addressed God. He laid out his complaint. He made a request, which was denied, by the way, in this case, but he affirmed his trust in God. God didn't remove the cup from him. The cup that he's referring to was the cup of God's wrath, the wrath that was poured out on him that next day, the wrath that is due every person for their sinfulness, their rebellion against God, my rebellion against a good, perfect, holy, loving, just, kind, creator God. And it was all poured out on Jesus. And because of that, anyone who's trusted in Christ by faith have been brought to God by what Christ did on the cross on our behalf. And what that means is all the promises of God 
are now ours. Because every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus. And if you are in Jesus, everything that is his is yours. And so what that means is no matter what the storm looks like in your life, and just, I mean, some of you might not know, like, I lost my mom this year. I, I no longer have either of my parents. I'm not speaking hypothetically here. No matter what the storm looks like in this life, no matter how the wind is howling, how the lightning, the thunder, it's all crashing around you, you can know that you are God's and God is yours. There is a covenant that he has made with you. He is never going to leave you nor forsake you. He knows what we're going through. He became a human being so that he could sympathize and empathize with every single piece of suffering that human beings go through. But you can also know that he has created a path for us. He has created a way for us through the sea, through the storm. And we might not always be able to see God's footprints in the midst of that time, but the scriptures are telling us, which is why we need to go back to them. God is there. You might not see the footprints, but God is with you. He is there. God, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He led them through the wilderness for 40 years through Moses and Aaron. It doesn't say Joshua who led them into the promised land. It says they were led through the wilderness. So we can trust him as a good shepherd. That's who Jesus is. And he will lead us through the wildernesses. He's not going to forsake us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for he is with us, and his rod and his staff, his shepherdly implements, implements will comfort us. And so we always have hope because God is always with us, and God has purchased a perfect future that is guaranteed for us. And that's the hope that we have to offer in this time, and in the future times, in that day of trouble when it comes.